Greetings, church and friends of the church. Uh, this is the scripture lesson and the sermon from the worship of the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church on Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. Uh, the scripture lesson is from the letter of the Apostle James. And this is what James writes. You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you, not, you shall not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so, speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, so in this episode, we continue in a seven-episode focus on the wisdom of the Apostle James, one of the earliest uh, voices speaking into the world post-Jesus about what it meant to try and uh, infuse, uh, implement an intentional Christianity into the social order so that that social order might be uh, made more whole and made better. Um, and this morning, we hear James' affirmation that, that Christians, as they're seeking to intentionally implement or infuse the, the social order around them with Christianity, are therefore people of love, people of liberty, and people of mercy, but are not to be people of legalism. All right, so we are people of love. Um, James repeats uh, what Jesus himself taught was the single most important command upon and characteristic of Christian followers. We do well if we really fulfill the royal law, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. If we Christians are nothing else, we are to be a people of love. The gospel writers all capture Jesus' irrefutable emphasis on love is the defining element of his way of being, of Christianity. What is the greatest law, Jesus was asked, to which he replied simply and clearly that we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. I give you a new command, said Jesus to his followers, that you love one another. This is how the world you will know that you are my disciples, said Jesus, that you have love for one another. We hear the centrality of an intentionality of love in all that Christ taught. The Apostle Paul, another of the earliest voices seeking to bring this way of Christianity, this way of love into the world, wrote to a group of Christians in Corinth. He said this, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels, but if I have not love, 
I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Any version of Christianity that lacks love as its foundation, its heartbeat, its defining characteristic is just noise in the world. Paul also wrote that of the three major virtues of Christianity, Christian faith, Christian hope, and Christian love, that the greatest of these virtues is love. So what does that mean to us as the church? Knowing how deeply we value and seek to nurture our Christian faith, these beliefs that we hold to be true about God and humanity, um, these practices and traditions that we keep that were handed down to us over the generations by families and friends, and knowing how deeply we value and seek to nurture our Christian hope, our hope not only that God's at work in this world, but, but a hope in life eternal that, that becomes that one thing that can bring consolation and save us from the depths of grief when we mourn the passing of someone beloved. What does it mean to us that our Christian love is to be of greater virtue and emphasis than these, and our Christian faith and our Christian hope? More than a people of faith, more than a people of worship, devotion, study practices, more than a people of hope who respond to death unlike others in this world. We are to be and to be uh, known as people of love. What does it mean? That our Christian love is to more centrally define and motivate us than our Christian faith or our Christian hope. What does it mean that if our Christian faith that we nurture on Sunday mornings, those of us who have a community with whom we worship, and, and the Christian hope that we proclaim uh, in the face of tragedy and death, that life has an eternal nature, what does it mean that those are just noise in this world if they are not grounded? In Christian love, if we have not Christian love. The word for love that Jesus uses to describe this foundational characteristic of his way is agape. It's an intentionality of living for the sake of others, regardless of merit and without the expectation of anything in return. It is the compassionate, hospitable, kind engagement of the other demonstrated by Jesus in his encounters with men women and children of every color, creed, and station. It's the love that moves beyond feelings and beyond beliefs and is animated in intentional action for the sake of others. It's the intentionality of action, the animation of a system of beliefs and hope that we see in Jesus as he befriends and welcomes and feeds and heals that we see in the stories of his first disciples, his first followers, is they were invited to move beyond what they've learned to believe and to focus instead on how they were learning to love, joining him in the befriending, the welcoming, the feeding, and the healing. It is the intentionality of action that we hear in his command to do for the sake of the least of those in our communities, the most vulnerable, desperate, marginalized, and undeserved, underserved regardless of merit, and without the expectation of anything in return. When this is our defining characteristic, we fulfill Christ's royal law of love, and we are living faithfully with the greatest of our Christian virtues. 
James writes, we are people of liberty. So he wrote, speak and act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. So in James' teaching that we Christians are to speak and act by this law, this law of liberty. The word translated as liberty and and other times in the Greek New Testament scriptures uh, also translated as freedom. Uh, It's a Greek word that became known as being particular to the Christians. It's a word that literally means the freedom to do or to omit things having no relation to God's salvation. Or freedom to do that which God truly desires. So this word has this specific connotation. Freedom to stop doing that which we are taught is required or obligatory in order to earn God's salvation. Freedom to stop focusing our religious and spiritual lives on doing the right things in order to be favored by God. It's freedom to focus instead on doing the things of God with our time and energy. And so this teaching is not about permission to live with a sense of personal or individual liberty that divorces us from any sense of belonging to or responsibility to anyone else. This is not permission to live in a way that makes the self the center of the universe, basing our words and actions solely on what we desire or what's advantageous or preferential to us. It is actually permission to stop living in such a self-focused way and to put others as our focus instead. It's not freedom from obligation and responsibility to the well-being of others, but freedom from obligation to religious law that turns our focus inward. It's permission to stop making all these efforts to earn rightness before God or salvation from God as the focus of our lives. And instead, as we trust that God's gifts of love and salvation are unconditional and and a reality just simply to be embraced, we're, we're free to make our focus instead on participating in the works of God, which will always include words and actions that benefit others and not just ourselves. It's not, James is not talking about, when he says liberty, about some sort of individualistic freedom that says, I am only responsible for me and you have to worry about you. Rather, it's freedom to claim the responsibility that we have in God to love, to care about, to work for the sake of the well-being of the other, to be our brothers and our sisters' keeper. Jesus demonstrated this liberty, this freedom. He touched the legally untouchable. He was free from those laws that forbade him from touching them. He healed those thought to be cursed by God. He welcomed the outcast and the outsider, whereas the law would have forbidden him from doing so. He illegally fed the hungry and healed the lame on the Sabbath, when otherwise he would have just had to stand by. He was accused by the Pharisees and the scribes as being a troublemaker, a heretic, a danger to society because he spoke and acted with a freedom that they refused. The freedom to stop focusing wholly on policing behavior out of a sense of obligation to this law. The freedom to speak and act with a sense of obligation to God and God's true desires. Instead of spending his time making sure that 
His hair was legally kept. His clothes were legal. His meals were legal. His interactions with others were legal. That he did all the obligatory washings and, and sacrifices or that he went to the synagogue or the temple at the obligatory times, he was free. He was free from those laws that had actually nothing to do with God's salvation. He was free to animate God's love in his words and actions, to choose to do that with his time and energy and his focus instead of things that had nothing to do with the things of God. And because of this freedom, the hungry were fed and countless women, men, and children who would otherwise have continued to suffer were healed. And so we, his followers, Christians in the world, are called to do likewise, to live in the liberty and the freedom of God's grace, free to choose to participate in God's good work for the sake of others, rather than living with a sense of obligation to teachings, traditions, rituals, beliefs, and norms. We've always done it this ways. Things that don't actually have anything to do with God's salvation. We are free. We are free to be more than believers. We are free to be more than good church members. We are free to love others beyond the norms and the expectations. And so, if we are a people of love, we are people of liberty, then we are not then a people of legalism. James wrote, we do well if we fulfill this royal law of love. Living with a focus on loving rather than the focus on obligatory, self-focused efforts to keep the teachings and the norms and the laws. In the time of James and Jesus, this meant freedom from the burdensome laws, demands, obligatory rights and practices of Pharisaical Judaism. Freedom from these hundreds and hundreds of ways that religious leaders uh, focus the attention of the people on their own behaviors by demanding that they all uh, obey all of these commands of the Mosaic Law. In our time... This means freedom from the ways that we Christians are still weighed down and distracted by a self-focused sense of obligation to, to do what the Bible says, or to do what a good church member does, or to do what we've always done. James wrote to these early Christians that whoever decides to focus their life um, on keeping the law, then they are accountable to all of it. In James' time, there was this temptation to create a pseudo-Christianity um, where some of the Hebrew laws were ignored, but then some were also demanded and upheld. So this created factions and divisions in the Christian community with arguments like whether or not a male Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, had to be circumcised in order to be a part of the community. Or if a, a Christian can eat the meat of an animal used in a non-Christian sacrificial offering. Or what role women could or could not play in the community. Their, their inability to, to be fully free of these laws of Moses um, put them in this place of being pseudo-Christian 
pseudo-legalistic. And so to these communities, James wrote, no, you're missing the point. If you're, if you're going to be legalistic, then be legalistic. We can't be pseudo-legalistic and pseudo-Christian. If you're going to live by the law, then do it. Go all in. You're accountable to all of it. But if you are a Christian, there is no room for legalism. We are not those who are defined by these hundreds of laws in the Hebrew tradition, but by the one royal law that Christ gave us, the law of the love of neighbor. We are judged by the law of liberty, our freedom from obligation to all those hundreds and hundreds of expectations and rules and norms that don't actually have anything to do with the things of God. In our era of Christianity, we wonder what has this temptation of a pseudo-legalistic, pseudo-Christian religion looked like? Well, at its worst, it's looked like the condoning of slavery, subjugation of women, marginalization of the LGBTQ community, because we've taken other laws other than the royal law, and even though we are free from them, we still impose them on others with judgment. That's at our worst. Maybe, maybe a, a, a little less malignant is, is the more subtle legalism. Congregational beliefs that are based on fear, fear of disobedience to laws other than the law of love and the law of liberty. It looks like congregations full of people describing their Christianity as reporting to the proper place at the proper time for worship or study or describing their Christianity as holding the right beliefs or ensuring that their Sunday clothes are the right clothes, that they do the obligatory prayers and readings or they have the right kinds of interactions with other people in the world. But those are all versions of legalism. And church, we are not legalistic people. We are free to let go of the weight of these demands and expectations. We are free to let go of our fear of what God will do if we aren't obedient to the right laws or we don't believe the right things. You don't have to be afraid. We're free, we are free to set aside the weight of trying to measure up as good church members who meet whatever norms and expectations have been placed on congregations by their predecessors in those congregations. We are loved, we are forgiven, and we are free before God. And this is the blessed assurance that we proclaim every week in worship after our confessions. We are free to let go take that weight off us. And I know that's really hard because a lot of times we have an emotional attachment to those obligations that we feel because someone we deeply love and respect helped to place those legalistic obligations and expectations upon us. And we don't want to dishonor them by taking off 
what they gave us or taught us. But church, when we come to Christ, he removes every other yoke from us except for his own. And the only expectation that he has of us is his royal law. That we would love one another. And so we can breathe deeply and give thanks that we are free. We are free to focus on participating every day in God's loving work. Free to animate God's love in our words and actions. And with this liberty, instead of focusing on a version of Christianity characterized by a fear of God and a guilt-ridden focus on the self, we shall instead be a people of mercy. With liberty, we shall love. The hungry shall be fed. The homeless shall be sheltered. The outcasts shall be welcomed. And Christians will be known not as those who are guilty, angry, and judgmental because of their legalism, but instead as those who are merciful. Because in Christianity, mercy, grounded in love, acted out with liberty, always trumps judgment. By this, we shall be known as disciples of Jesus, the love that we offer in his name. And with God's help, may it be so. Peace to you and yours. Be safe. Wear a mask. Please get vaccinated. And God help us into a season of greater health and peace. Take care.